You found the right person, but now how do you find a way to make that happiness last? Find out next on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sanders, and want to thank you for making us part of your day today. This week, we're talking with two of Live Happy's favorite people, Suzanne Susie Pileggi Powelski and Dr. James Powelski. They're married, and they're also co-authors of the new book, Happy Together. Susie has a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology degree from the University of Pennsylvania and is a regular contributor to Live Happy magazine. James is the Director of Education and a Senior Scholar in the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania, where he co-founded the Master's of Applied Positive Psychology program with Dr. Martin Seligman. Live Happy CEO Deborah Heiss talked with Susie and James about their new book and how to be happier in our relationships. Guys, thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having us, Deborah. We're happy to be here. Thank you, Deborah. Great to be here. Well, so the first thing I want to ask you is um, how did you guys decide to write a book together? How did, how did this come about? And, and then tell us a little bit about what the book's about. Well, we figured since we had the perfect relationship, we'd write a book together. And talk about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, um, I think we talked about for a while, you know, everybody gets really excited um, about, you know, finding that special someone and then planning a big wedding. And it seems like there's so much focus, um, especially now and, you know, popular culture about all the effort of, finding a date, finding the perfect mate. I think these days it's with various applications, um, you know, whether it's online or whatnot. And then once you do find that person and you get engaged, again, there's so many deliberate choices and effort and planning a perfect wedding. Then you get married and you're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, now what? And it seems to us that if there was just as much effort you put into um, after getting married and how to work on the relationship once you're together, um, that there'd be greater success with marriages. You know, um, I think it's interesting, uh, that the focus is on, you know, happy together, you know, on being happy together, because I, I agree with you. There's so much in popular psychology. I mean, I'm popular media, not popular psychology, popular media, which is just really focused on, Hey, we have the perfect person and we lived happily ever ever after, you know, all the way back to Disney prince and the princess meet, they fall in love, they get married, and the story's over. But that's not really the way it works. No, exactly. And that's definitely um, one of the things that I think is standing in the way of healthy relationships, because there's all kinds of pressure on people to, you know, get it right. Um, and so, uh, and this is, you know, you'll know it's right when, I don't know, the lightning strikes or the heavens open and the violins play or something like that. Um, and I think that one of the things that that does, Deborah, is it, um, it distracts us from the really important things. So we're so busy hoping that the lightning will strike that we don't do the work that it takes to prepare for being uh, a healthy partner in a relationship. 
and we don't do the work that it takes to develop our own, um, you know, develop our own selves to be ready for that to happen. And we don't do the work that it takes to, um, you know, consider uh, whether a particular relationship is one that, um, you know, looks good on paper or looks good in photographs or is really one, you know, for the long haul. Yeah, I think, um, like you said at the top of the uh, at the top of the interview, you guys have the perfect relationship, right? So do I. I have the perfect relationship, uh, and people look at me like nobody has the perfect relationship. Well, right, but I work at it, and it's the perfect relationship for me, which doesn't mean it's always perfect, but it is work. Um, and and I think I, I my my wife and I have been together twenty two years. We have three children. You guys have been together um, ten years. Is that about right? Almost eight. Almost eight. Okay. Well, time flies because at eight years, I felt like it was forever. At 22 years, I felt like it was forever. And at one year, I felt like it was going to be forever. But there's been a lot of changes in that time frame. You know, it's not like we're the same as we were when we got together. Um, We've changed a lot. And I know that you have children. You, you of course, have lovely, lovely Liam, who I've met before. Fantastic little boy. what is the big misconception about happiness in relationships? Because I know that you guys have a happy relationship, I have a happy relationship, but I know it's always not happy. So what is it that most people get wrong in their heads that doesn't manifest itself when you actually get into a relationship? It's a great question, Deborah. So let me just jump in quickly and then, and then Susie will give you a fuller response. So clearly we have, the, we have one third the relationship that you, that you and your wife do, Deborah, because you've been married three times as long and you have three times as many kids. Uh, we should be really learning from you Um, really enjoy uh, uh, talking with you look the term perfect actually comes as we point out in the book from two Latin words that means thoroughly done so literally when we talk about you know I want the perfect relationship no relationship is literally perfect unless it's thoroughly done which it can be if one or both partners are dead or if one or both partners have stopped trying right Um, but exactly to your point Relationships are the kinds of things that are growing, living kinds of things. And so we don't think that it's ever anything you can get right in that static kind of way. So we're totally in in agreement with you that it's something that grows and develops and you need to work at and have fun at um, along the way as you both develop. So you mentioned earlier about, you know, fairy tales. And yeah, we think happily ever after doesn't just happen and it takes effort. But the interesting thing is, that, you know, when you say that, people will agree, but when you really um, think about it, nobody um, focuses on putting as much effort, it seems like, into relationships before they get involved, like they do at work or at the gym. Like, you don't land your first job. I'm sure you didn't in publishing and think, oh, years from now, you know, I'll just be a CEO by sitting back, or you don't buy a gym membership and think, I'll get in perfect shape and run a marathon. You train day in, day out. You take training classes at work or you train your body at the gym. So why is it in this um, interpersonal you know, aspect of our lives the only area where it seems that we don't put in the work on a day-to-day basis and really try out you know, new things, whether it's new things of communicating, new habits. Um, so James and I like to talk about the concept of a relationship gym we talk about in the book that uh, if we could focus on those habits and the day in and day out effort like we do uh, practicing habits at work and um, on our uh, physical health, 
then we'd probably increase our chances of having, you know, a better long-term chance for love and lasting relationships. Well, one of the things I I love about talking to you guys, and and I love when we get together to talk about whatever topic it is, is you guys aren't just talking from personal experience. You know, uh, you joked earlier that, James, that I have three times the relationship, so mine's three times as perfect as yours, but I'm still alive, so apparently I shouldn't say perfect at all. (laughs) But, you know, one of the things I love about talking to you guys is you're not just speaking from personal experience. You've actually done the research. I know you guys give your romance and research workshops around the world. Um, I know that there's a lot of, you know, you know, actually proven things you can do to have a better relationship. Um, share with us a few of what those things are, what, what our average listener, because everybody wants a better relationship. What can our average listener learn from the work that you guys have already done and the, and the research that's already out there? Yeah, thanks, Deborah. That's a really important point. So um, we do try in the book very hard to uh, report information that, um, you know, part of it, some of it is comes from our own experience and so forth. But much of the book content comes from the work that others have done. And so I'm going to start uh, in with something that, you know, everybody can easily identify with, and that's Aristotle. Uh, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? I think it's start. Look, Aristotle said there are three kinds of things that human beings love, the useful, the pleasurable, and the good. And he said that there are friendships that correspond with each of these. So, right. So I'm guessing, Deborah, that you have friends that you are really, the the relationship is guided by the fact that you're a benefit to each other, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Business relationships, for example, are often this way. You may also have, uh, hopefully, relationships where, you know, it's just fun to be with the other person. It's just really, you know, you have a blast when you're with them. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of a relationship. What Aristotle points out, though, is that those kinds of relationships tend to be less stable because if the other person stop, if you stop being useful to each other, why would you hang out anymore, right? Or if it's no longer fun to go out, then uh, you're probably not going to continue that relationship. So he says that the most stable kind of relationship is one in which you're brought together because of the good you see in the other person. And so this is something that that I've been including in my teaching, um, talking about Aristotelian friendship. We all know about platonic friendship, but Aristotelian friendship is when you see the good in the other person, and that can inspire you uh, to uh, to want to be a better person yourself. So now we go to a story from our honeymoon, which I'll ask. No, not that story, Susie. (laughs) Different story, different story. Different story. I uh, Susie to tell that story. So we're on the beach in St. Lucia. Of course, uh, what am I doing? Honeymoon with my husband. Talking philosophy, of course. Absolutely. Now you know why I love her so much. <laughs> this so, is why. This, that's what you get when you marry a professor in humanities. Just, just so you know. That's great. I think we had to pay extra money because of the number of books he brought in his suitcase. <laughs> so as we're discussing Aristotle, true story, and he was talking about the Aristotelian friendship, and I said well, wait a minute, why does this have to just be limited to friendships? What if we took this concept and we applied it to our own relationship and our marriage? So um, we brought it to, um, if we bring it to the level of being Aristotelian lovers, where we focus on the goodness in each person, um, on each other, and uh, it helps us to inspire each other to become better uh, individuals and better as a couple. And James said, I love that idea. So... That was really um, the crux of the book. Uh, we focus on a Aristotelian friendship, 
um, to the level of romantic relationships, focusing on the good in the other person and being inspired by them. And then um, we use positive psychology research. How do you get there? So you focus on the good. What are those empirical interventions um, that people can do in their daily life that are simple? You don't have to know Aristotle. <laughs> good. <laughs> So we could talk about some of those things, but th but that was the uh, philosophy uh, really behind kind the, the book. Kind of the theory, kind of the framing of the book within which we include the science. Yeah. You know, so I have to ask: Do you feel sometimes like your entire relationship is one grand experiment? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't isn't life one grand experiment? Was it was it who was it who said life is one grand experiment or nothing at all, something like that? Um, I mean, I think you know. We, we don't necessarily um, admit this in front of our son, Liam, who's seven years old. Uh, but, you know, as, as human beings, we're, this is all a, a, an experiment, but not in the sense of, you know, having to get uh, approval from the university, IRB approval for doing a, like a formal experiment. Um, <laughs> that's probably that's probably better, uh, increases your chances of staying married longer, James. I just want to interject on Susie's behalf that, there. <laughs> exactly. So I don't mean that our relationship is one long scientific experiment. It's an interesting um, you know, foray into experience and, you know, what works well, what doesn't, what works well today, what doesn't work so well today and how we can be flexible, but also have, um, you know, as Susie said, these healthy, healthy habits. Well, in all, in all seriousness, I, I asked that question because, um, you know, in relationships, it's not whether what you're doing now works, it's whether or not you're willing to try different things until you find what works. Um, and, you know, if it, it, I agree with you, life is one great grand experiment, uh, but it's not about, hey, if you do exactly these things, your relationship is going to be great. Isn't it a little bit about that work, this, this tactic works for some people, but this tactic works better for other couples? Because you, you talk about several different tactics, several different healthy habits in the book. Yes. Um, yeah, I think you, sorry, I think you're exactly right, Deborah, in terms of the tactical level, and we'll turn to that in one second. Um, I think it's really important, though, also to have in mind, you know, what the what the goals are. So, again, I think that if your goal is to benefit either because you feel like you are going to benefit financially from the other person or socially, you have a social status from the other person. Um, you know, that's that that is what has historically fueled marriage a lot. Right. We're going to bring these two families together and it's strategically going to advance both of us. Um, so when if your goal is to use the other person or, or find benefit, you know, financial or social in the relationship, or if your goal is just to have as, as big of a blast as you possibly can and just have pleasure or fun all the time, then we think that no matter what your tactics are, you may not have the kind you may not be able to build a love that lasts. Whereas on the other hand, if you're looking to the good in the other person uh, and willing also to recognize the good in yourself, that opens us up to a whole lot of tactics that are very uh, consonant with research and positive psychology. And then, yes, it's a matter of, okay, you know, what kinds of things work? What kinds of habitual practices can we develop? And then what kinds of new things do we need to, uh, to create as well as we're both developing and changing and growing? Yeah, and I think that's why um, we're going to talk a little bit about strengths. And to your point, yes, not everything works for the for um, all couples. And that's why we think if you focus on like a strength base, we all have different strengths, and we're all like unique combination of individual strengths. So certain activities, you know, might work for one person or one couple, and not for an, a, another couple. But I think um, 
if you could focus on identifying uh, your unique strengths and your partners, um, that's a good way to start. So James is going to talk a little bit about that, and then I'm going to give some, you know, examples of things that couples can do. Yes, yeah, so well, if you think. Well, let me let me interject here for a moment, just because I think there's something really important that you guys you guys are saying, and I want to make sure it doesn't get lost to the audience, which is okay. it isn't just about your partner. It isn't just about finding the good in your partner. It isn't. It, it isn't just about finding your strengths it, it's both it is you have to you have to see the good in your partner and yourself you have to work on your strengths and recognize your partner's strengths it really is not a focus on one or the other it's kind of a, a balanced focus is what i'm hearing is that correct that that's correct i mean you got to identify your own strengths um and your partner has to identify his or her strengths and then work together because you know, we talk in the book about the importance of interdependence. Um, some people are super independent and, you know, they don't take their partner into consideration. Others are too dependent and they get lost um, in their other partner. So you both have to know what really makes yourself tick and discuss that with your partner because we are different. So something that might work for me might not work for James. But I think the more that you can... Um, be a detective and learn about yourself and your partner, and then you can come up with creative ideas. So something that might work for us, Deborah, might not work for you and your wife because we all have unique strengths. But that's where I think having conversations and you know we, we evolve too. So something that might work in our first 10 years of marriage, maybe 25 years down the road, um, when we mature and you know develop other aspects of our personality, uh, we might have to do uh, different tactics. Yeah, and it really is a balance. Um, you're exactly right. So in terms of both partners, you know, having strengths and having both partners understand and recognize what the strengths are, you know, both thinking of that as individuals, but then also thinking that of that as a couple. And then also there's a dynamic element to it, which you alluded to, Deborah, in your relationship, um, of this growing and changing. So when I see Susie's strengths and that inspires me to want to become better, then that's not Susie saying to me when I come home from the office, James, you need to be better, <laughs> right? Which <laughs> always, doesn't always motivate, right? But if I'm saying, you know, I want to grow, and I, I've certainly, I'm, I'm, I want permission to be human, right? It's not as though I'm trying to be perfect, but I'm, I'm continually in this, um, in this relationship, and I continually want to grow. Uh, and I also continually want to support Susie and her growth, but it's not a, you know, oftentimes couples get caught up in that, you know, I'd love for my partner to grow. Uh, that's, I'm all about that, but, um, but it's not as much, you know, focusing on their own growth as a part of that dyadic relationship. Foundations of Positive Psychology is a five-course online specialization developed by the father of positive psychology, Dr. Martin E.P. Seligman, and his colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania. Available on Coursera.org, this program helps you master the strategies that enable individuals and organizations to thrive. No matter where you are in your personal and professional journey, you can find greater meaning in all that you do. The applied nature of the specialization allows you to enhance aspects of your well-being based on the skills acquired in each course, including grit, resilience, and human flourishing. When completed, you earn an official certificate that demonstrates your achievement. Foundations of Positive Psychology is taught by Dr. Martin E.P. Seligman, Dr. James O. Powelski, Dr. Angela Duckworth, 
Dr. Claire Robertson-Craft, and Dr. Karen Rivich, who are pioneering researchers at the Penn Positive Psychology Center. Enroll at Coursera.org slash specializations slash positive psychology or search Foundations of Positive Psychology on Coursera.org. I, I hear what you're saying because I do think many people focus, you know, I, how many times have you heard, hey, if they just stopped doing that, we'd, we'd get along so much better. But that's not necessarily what it's about. Um, it is about focusing on your, on your own strengths and on their strengths and finding that dialogue that works for the two of you. How do you, how does one go about discovering their strengths? I mean, I know we talk about um, a lot, we talk about via strengths, uh, going on to the via, via strengths dot uh, org site here, quite a bit via, via character.org site here a lot as a ploy to do it. But how does your average person really start to identify the, their strengths so they can apply some of what we're going to talk about in a moment? Yeah, it's a great question, Deborah. Look, we all know that our partners have strengths, but it's easy in the day to day to kind of get lost uh, or, or get reoriented. So your point, you know, oh, if they just stopped doing that, if they just stopped doing, so we oftentimes are more easily able to focus on the weaknesses or the annoyances. Um, and so looking, so there are, there are different ways in which we can, um, different aids to help us to focus in on the strengths that are really there, whether we, you know, are seeing them or not. And one great way of doing it is uh, the via uh, the, the via classification of, strength, of strengths and virtues, and um, we have a website buildhappytogether.com that people can uh, find uh, resources, including a link to the via test and, and other resources as well. When you take the via, uh, it's really a survey that helps you understand what your highest strengths might be. So maybe one partner is particularly high in love of learning and maybe another partner is particularly high in kindness. That doesn't mean that you know the other partner doesn't have to be kind, it just means that's something that you're naturally good at. You just, um, you just kind of do in your life, oftentimes without even thinking, not, not intentionally and so forth. And so the more couples as individuals can understand what their strengths are, either simply by reflecting on it or by taking the survey and, and, and having that feedback, the more they can begin to have strengths conversations where they talk with each other about what their strengths are, how those strengths play out. One of the things that Susie and I have been uh, interested in in our, in our relationship is we each have the strength of creativity very high on our list. And yet the way we live out that creativity um, is very different. So yeah, we've had some humorous, um, <laughs> humorous occasions uh, along the way to figuring that out, right? Um, but understanding what those strengths are as individuals and then bringing those strengths together as a couple and how that makes you as in this relationship uh, better off allows you to focus on the good in each other and, and, and together and then also to help to grow that. Our, our, our listener, what is a strengths conversation? Because there's a certain element of vulnerability to that type of a discussion. Yes, there is, interestingly. Deborah, so look, I mean, we think of vulnerability, I think, in terms of weaknesses, right? A vulnerability, a vulnerable place in the system is a place where it can be attacked or it can, you know, um, uh, break down or something like that. And one of my students in our Master of Applied Positive Psychology program, Jason Zellner, uh, once said that he thought positive psychology was about positive vulnerability. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. So this definitely is a kind of place of trust. Um, and interest and care. 
Uh, and a strengths conversation um, can take any number of different forms. In Susie and my life, um, it sometimes has taken place around, you know, again, we've identified creativity as one of these. Can I tell them the crossword puzzle story, Susie? Sure. All right. So, so Susie likes doing crossword puzzles. And so she wanted to do, uh, you know, a crossword puzzle. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it with you. And so the way I do crossword puzzles is I start with the first clue. Um, this is one across and I read the clue. And if I can write in the answer, I do. If not, I go to the second two across and I read that and I do that. And when I think I'm thinking silently about what the answer might be, this is very different from the way Susie does crosswords. <laughs> Uh, I found out. And so for Susie, why would you go boom, boom, boom? Like, why wouldn't you go to the things that are easy, the things that you um, might have a clue about? And why wouldn't you talk it out out loud? Because that helps you think. The other person might chime in with something. So from my perspective, I was like, Susie, I can't, I can't function in this context because I can't think. I can't, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out two across and you're working on, you know, 35 down, right? So what we found, it, you know, it's not that one is right or the other is wrong, although probably her way is more right than mine, to be honest. Um, but what we found was we had different ways of proceeding. Now, I could try to make her wrong, right, and say, Susie, you're doing it all wrong, or she could do the same to me. But if we can stop and have a conversation about how we work out our strength of creativity, uh, then we can understand that it's not a matter of being right or wrong in this case, it's a matter of difference. And then also how we can collaborate to use the way she does things creatively in times that benefit us, and in other times the way I do things creatively to benefit us as well. Well, the, the way creativity manifests in us is very differently because um, it depends on the context of your personality and your other strengths. So another top strength of James's is like analytical thinking, whereas mine is zest. So take someone who is creative and analytical and linear like James and take someone who is creative and zestful and give you the puzzle and what do you think is going to happen? You know, I'm bouncing around going to the bottom. So when we figured that out, instead of getting frustrated and, you know, the way we go about our day-to-day lives, like I can give you an example, going to be very truthful when we wrote this book together, he would be like, you know, I was the lead writer on it and he's like, where's your outline? I'm like, outline? (laughs) (laughs) Horrifying. So in all my years of college and graduate school and as a writer, I don't really do outlines and I, it doesn't work for me. And I think James as a philosopher depends on outlines, like his structure and his backbone, but we've both been, you know, successful in our careers, but we have very different ways of, you know, navigating um, writing and other things. Yeah. What we found is that, um, you know, with Susie's zest, we oftentimes are able to get things done more quickly than I would have thought possible. Uh, and with my critical thinking, we're sometimes able to do things at a level of quality or logical kind of flow that we might have missed otherwise. So again, when we bring those strengths together, uh, we wind up, and just with regard to this book, for example, I think, Susie, if you had been the only author in this book, I think it would have been done probably a year ago. Uh, <laughs> it would have been just fine. If I were the sole author on this book, I think it would probably be available in about a decade. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe, if then. But 
bringing it together, I think that we've we've taken a little more time to do the book, and I think it's a higher quality. It's maybe more carefully thought through, um, and so it's a, again a, an example of using our strengths together to to create something that would better than either one of us on our own. So let's get to some some of the healthy habits that uh, you guys talk about in the book, because there's some really really good advice here for uh, people who are struggling with a relationship or who just frankly want to have a better relationship with someone um, when they already have a good relationship. I mean, there's things in the book, I think, that really help help me to think about my relationship differently. So what are some of the things people can do? So James uh, spoke about strength conversations, and that's something we highlight. We think all couples should start there uh, after they find out their individual strengths. Uh, they should discuss with their partner, and not just one time, but strength conversations. So we gave this example about the crossword puzzle and the way we worked on the book together. If we didn't have those conversations, James might just think I'm all over the place working on the puzzle or not having an outline. And I might just think, you know, he's trying to drive me crazy that analyzing every little thing and uh, and just picking out nitpicking details and we're never going to get this project done. Um, but once I learned, like that's something he learned, it uses in all aspects of his life, like his patience with Liam and teaching his students, then I can kind of see when, you know, I may normally be getting frustrated, like, oh, that's his analytical thinking. He's not trying to drive me crazy. Um, but honestly, in the beginning, I thought he was trying to drive me crazy. So I think continuing to have <laughs> strength conversations and what this means for you, like, uh, this is how, this is what's going on in my head. This is my experience because we all have your, our own very unique inner experiences. The way I experience the world is very different than the way James experiences the world. So strength conversations would be the first. Um, and then next, um, something that's really fun that we like to do is going on what we call a strength state. That's where couples can identify one strength of one partner. So let's say for me, it would be zest and one of James's top uh, level learning. And then, um, together, or you could take turns planning a date that would use those two strengths. So, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, you guys also talk about in the book, which I think is really important, and I think this is something that, um, you know, I, I and Katie, my, my spouse, do very well, is you also talk about prioritizing positivity. Sure. I'll start and then James can chime in. So for people who might not be familiar with that term, that's something Barbara Fredrickson and her colleagues talk about. Um, so people sometimes talk about, well, I just don't feel happy anymore. I don't have those, you know, initial um, emotions maybe as I did when I first met my partner or I first got married. They think it's just going to, you know, happen. You're just going to always feel blissful. And um, that's not necessarily the case. If, uh, they found that the people who are the happiest and have successful relationships are people who make active choices on a day-to-day -day basis, and they don't wait for positive emotions to happen. Instead, they uh, make decisions and they organize their day by doing certain activities that bring more joy into their lives, both individually and as a couple. So I would say, think about those things individually and with your partner. What are those activities we both like? How can we schedule more of them into our day? in order to feel more fulfilled as an individual and as a couple. Yeah, so just to add to that uh, a bit, so Barbara Fredrickson talks about the broaden and build model of uh, positive emotions, that positive emotions broaden our perspectives and then allow us to build 
uh, resources, uh, social resources or physical resources, resources, psychological resources. And although the emotions themselves may be fleeting, those resources may be uh, enduring. So um, bottom line, you know, I think we all like to have quote unquote positive emotions. We like to have those feelings. And so when we may not be having as many of those as we would like in a relationship, that can be the start of a downward spiral. We can get into the blame game. I'm not happy because you're this and you're that and you're the other thing, which doesn't tend to lead to happiness. Um, so again, what, what Barbara Fredrickson and her colleagues uh, have found and recommend is that if instead of trying to focus on, you know, I'm prioritizing joy, so I'm going to feel joyful right now, uh, and you're going to make me feel joyful, or you're going to, instead of that, say, what are the things that when I engage in those activities, or when we engage in those activities as a couple, they tend to make us feel more of the emotions that we would like to feel, and to make sure that we have room for those uh, in our lives. So what we would say is, you know, as a couple, think about times in the past when you've experienced positive emotions, what were you doing? What are the kinds of things that make you feel, um, you know, just playful and humorous with each other or that fill you with gratitude or perhaps that make you feel awe um, toward each other or toward some aspect of the world and make sure that you're doing some of those things on a regular basis. Again, they can be squeezed out by the tyranny of the urgent, uh, the schedules that we all have to juggle. And so being mindful and intentional about those things can be really helpful. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, you know, when I talk about prioritizing positivity uh, from the activity perspective, um, for both Katie and I, it's very important that we get time outside. You know, she likes to golf. I like to fish. She likes to fish as well. We like to go to walks. So that's really important. But we, I also look at it from a standpoint of the smaller things. Like I really enjoy cooking. But I travel a lot and I'm not home a lot. But when I am home and I can, it's kind of this, all right, there's this unwritten um, that I'm going to be the one that come home that comes home and makes dinner and you know, it we 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 always eat together as a family, but it becomes a little more of an event when I have the opportunity to do that. And it makes us all feel good because I enjoy cooking and she enjoys not cooking. So <laughs> I mean, you know, but but there but there's Follow on to that, I also am someone who needs 10 minutes of cool down. So when I walk in the door, don't expect me to go start chopping. I'm going to cook, but I need mm -hmm. that I need that 10 minutes of, hey, hi, kids, love you. I'm going to kiss. Go in my room and take my shoes off and change clothes and do whatever it is, and nobody follows me because I need 10 minutes to kind of reset. Mm -hmm. And after 22 years, we know that. I mean, it's not <laughs> – there's not some – assault the minute I get in the door, she, she's learned that just giving me that 10 minutes of space makes our evening exceptional because I need that. Whereas um, I've learned that if, if, if I don't stop and talk with her, like, it, it, you know, I, she actually needs social interaction in the evening. We need to actually, at, when we're cooking, we need to actually sit down and talk. It's not good enough that we sit there and eat or that the TV's on. We actually need to have dialogue. Not because I do, but because she does. <laughs> yes, we're laughing over here, uh, Deborah, because uh, that, that's very similar to some of our um, experience as well. And look, I think this is, you know, this is so illustrative of the importance of these strengths conversations, or just in general, um, talking about what works and what doesn't work. I could imagine, uh, I don't want to, but I could imagine a different couple living 22 years and never having figured that out 
right? And so one person always going and immediately wanting to um, engage the other person as soon as she walks in the door. And maybe you don't want to offend and you don't this. And so for 22 years, you're kind of like, I hate this, but I'm going to, and you kind of um, ease, ease into the evening and finally get there, but not in a way that really works for you. So I think that, that a, a context of love and trust and understanding, and again, not looking for the worst in each other, but looking for the best and looking for the good. And again, to your point, growing and learning how these, um, these shifts can be made in our relationship to support this unique couple that is together in this relationship is really key. If you'd like to learn more about James and Susie's book, Happy Together, visit us at livehappynow.com or look for the book wherever you buy your favorite books. You can also read more about it in the current issue of Live Happy magazine, available now at a newsstand near you. That's all we have for you today. So until next time, this is Jeff Sanders wishing you a happy day and hoping that every day you live happy.